he that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, that is the crowd, saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of Almighty God endures forever. You may be seated. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity now to come again to your word. And with eyes of faith to see Christ our Savior. We thank you for the privilege of being called your children. We ask now that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. Give us hearts to receive your word once more. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I wonder if you've ever heard a fellow believer say something to the effect of, I have a friend or a family member that's not a Christian, but they are seeking after God. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard a believer describe an unbeliever as one who is seeking after God? Well, there's a problem with that statement. In fact, not only is it a statement, but a whole movement within the evangelical church has been built around that idea called the seeker-friendly church. But there is a problem with that idea. And the problem is, is that no one seeks after God. No one in their natural state, in an unregenerate state, seeks after God. The Apostle Paul says, There is none righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. That we have all, like sheep, gone astray. And in case we think that that was the Apostle Paul giving a one-off, he's actually quoting from the Old Testament there. 
the story since the fall of man is that man has been on the run from God. Man is a fugitive. He's running as hard and as fast from his creator as he can. If you'll read Genesis through Revelation, that is the account of the natural man, the unregenerate man. So why is it that believers, well-intentioned believers, will often say, well, they're not Christians, but I believe that they're seeking after God. I once read an article, I think it was by Ligonier Ministries, that explained that belief system, I believe, very well. The first reason that the article gave why Christians think this way is that they read texts that was one of them listed in our bulletin or our worship guide this morning. They read texts like Isaiah 55, 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. And well-meaning believers say here, here's the evidence right here, that we are able to seek after the Lord and to call upon his name. Well, we know the problem with that, don't we? That we are never to take a text out of its context. And the context there is that Isaiah is speaking to Israel. He's not speaking to the heathen nations around Israel. He's speaking to the people of God. He's telling the people of God to seek after the Lord while he may be found, to call upon him while he is near. He is calling Israel to repentance. He is telling Israel to come back to the God who not only rescued you from physical slavery to Egypt, but from slavery to sin, to spiritual slavery to sin. Isaiah is talking to the people of God. It is the people of God in the New Testament that are told to seek after the Lord, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The second reason that the article gave that many well-intentioned believers think that unbelievers are seeking after God is that they find their non-believing Christian friends or family members desiring what they have, peace of mind, peace of the soul, freedom from guilt and shame. But Thomas Aquinas once said, well said, he said well, that natural man may seek the hand of God, but he never seeks God for himself. Natural man or unregenerate man may seek the blessings that flow from Christ, but he does not desire Christ. Now, in our text this morning, we read about a man, a chief tax collector, who is seeking to see Jesus. Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute, Paul. You've just spent the last few moments telling us that no unregenerate man seeks after God. And it's clear to us that before Zacchaeus has Jesus in his house, he is an unregenerate man. So how is it that this unregenerate man is seeking to see Jesus? Well, I'm really glad you asked that question. But I'm not going to answer it just yet. We're going to let it hang out there for just a moment. First, I want us to get to know 
Zacchaeus a little bit. Let's do a little biographical sketch of him. What does Luke tell us about Zacchaeus? Well, the first thing he tells us in verse 2 is that he is a chief tax collector. He's not your run-of-the-mill tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. I like how MacArthur once said it. He stood, I think it was MacArthur, he he stood, Zacchaeus stood at the top of the pyramid scheme of tax collectors. He was the big dog. He made the most money. He collected what Rome wanted, or he had his men underneath him collect what Rome wanted, then he got the next biggest cut. He was a chief tax collector. He oversaw the other tax collectors. So what Luke says next makes sense. He was a chief tax collector, number one, and he was rich. The fact that he was a chief tax collector afforded Zacchaeus a very comfortable lifestyle. He was a chief tax collector. He was rich. And Luke doesn't tell us this, but the Gospels, if you read the Gospels, you'll come to know that not only was he rich, but he was despised by his fellow Jews. Why did his fellow Jews despise him? In fact, they had a saying about the tax collectors. The sinners, the outcasts, and the tax collectors. They were all lumped together. The people of ill repute and the tax collectors. They were viewed one and the same. They were despised by their fellow Jews. Why did their fellow Jews despise them? Because they worked for the occupying force for the Romans. It's not that the Jews didn't understand paying taxes. They paid taxes under the theocracy. They certainly paid taxes under their own leaders and kings. They didn't mind paying taxes. They just didn't want to pay them to the Romans. They wanted Israel to be in the place of prominence that she once was in. They wanted the Messiah to come so that he would free them from the Roman occupation and be their king to be their political leader. And they despised Zacchaeus for working for the Romans and for making himself rich off their backs and off their hard work. So he was a chief tax collector. He was rich. He was despised. And what I find most interesting is what Luke tells us that he was small in stature. Now, what I'm about to say is my thinking. It's conjecture, so make of it what you will. But if he was small in stature as a man, I would think he was small as a child and as a teenager. Now, I'm not a psychologist, but I'm going to play one for just a moment. If he was small as a child and as a teenager, then we know this must have been true. Because we all know how friendly and kind kids can be to one another, right? 
we know that he was probably picked on. He was targeted by bullies. Because we know that bullies will find the smallest and the weakest, and they show no mercy. I find it interesting that sometimes bullies never grow up and never grow out of it. They can be found everywhere, from politics to the church. But I'm assuming that Zacchaeus was bullied and picked on. How do you think that affected him psychologically? I think Zacchaeus developed what's known as a Napoleon complex. I think Zacchaeus thought to himself, one day I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be the richest man on the block and in the city. I'm going to have the biggest house, the most toys. One day I'm going to be the man. And all of these bullies that are picking on me and making fun of me, they're going to walk by my house one day and they're going to be green with envy. And that happened. Zacchaeus realized his dream. He didn't care who he had to step on, what other lives he had to crush. He climbed his way to the top of the ladder and he became the man. He had the biggest house, the biggest bank account, and the most toys. But for all of his wealth, we know this to be true and this is not conjecture because all the scripture testifies to it, that Zacchaeus was an unfulfilled man. He was unsatisfied. Inside, he was dying on the inside. Because outside of Christ, there is no life. You merely exist. If the Lord Jesus Christ is not your Savior and Lord, today, you are not living, you're merely existing. He was an unsatisfied, miserable, unhappy man. St. Augustine put it well when he said, God, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. For all of his wealth, he could not find rest. For his soul, he could not find peace for his mind. He was a restless, lost soul. I'll never forget a conversation that I had with a very wealthy man. He worked for a very prominent company that's known throughout the world. He flew corporate jets. People hung on his every word. And one day in a conversation, brief conversation I had with him, he looked at me and he said, Paul, is this all there is to life? Is this it? And I can't help but wonder if Zacchaeus, after counting all of his money, wandering around in a big, lonely, empty house, thinking to himself, is this all there is to life? Is this it? 
But one day he heard that a Galilean preacher was coming to town. And for some reason, Zacchaeus could not get this man, Jesus, off his mind. He had heard about Jesus' great works and miracles. Jesus' reputation preceded him. He'd heard about the blind eyes being opened, the deaf ears being unstopped, the dead being raised. But I think what captured Zacchaeus' attention the most is who Jesus hung out with. He hung out with the motley crew, the deplorables, the outcasts, the outlaws. Think about who Jesus had as his 12 disciples. One of them was Levi, a tax collector. Now, Zacchaeus' curiosity was piqued, but something more was going on, something deeper, something more profound, something miraculous was happening to the un, uh, uh, in the unseen world and to the unseen eye, to the unseen world. In the unseen world, I'll get it right. <laughs> Something miraculous was happening. Now we get back to the question. Why is it that Zacchaeus is seeking to see Jesus? The reason Zacchaeus is seeking to see Jesus is because the effectual call had left the throne room of heaven. The reason Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus was because the sovereign seeker was seeking an opportunity to change this greedy little selfish sinner's life forever. Jesus was about to do for Zacchaeus what Zacchaeus could never do for himself. He was about to bring him from death unto life. He was about to give him the gift of the new birth. Zacchaeus was about to experience regeneration, the miracle of salvation. Zacchaeus had heard the effectual call. Many hear the outward call of the gospel, the external call of the gospel. Many are called but few are chosen. Many hear the proclamation of the gospel, but what Zacchaeus heard was the internal call, the effectual call. What is the effectual call of the gospel? What does that mean? It simply means this, that everyone that God has determined to save, he will save. All hell can come against that individual all hell can try to stop the sovereign grace and mercy of God, but it will not be effective. Those that God has determined, the Father has determined to give to the Son will come to the Son, and the Son will not lose, not one of them. And there is our confidence, therein lies our confidence for our salvation. 
And for every time that we stand and proclaim the gospel or share the gospel with the neighbor or go into a prison and proclaim the gospel, it is not in our efforts, but it is in the effectual, sovereign call of the Spirit. Zacchaeus probably tried to put Jesus out of his mind, but every time he tried to put Jesus out of his mind, I imagine that he heard when he would lie down at night to try to get some rest, he'd hear, Zacchaeus. The Spirit of God would not leave him alone. And so he leaves his house, he leaves the safety of his home, and he goes dressed in the finest clothes, in the designer clothes that everybody else has paid for. He goes out to see Jesus because he is being drawn by the unseen hand of God. And we're told, Luke tells us, that he could not see Jesus because of the crowds. Now, I'm not going to run this rabbit trail for too long, but I've got to stop here for just a moment and say to every young believer here, young person here, what every mature believer knows, that there is always a crowd that will try to keep you from Jesus. If you don't know Christ today, I guarantee you there is a crowd that will try to keep you from Jesus If you're a believer here today that desires to know God in a deeper and more profound way, I'm here to tell you that there is a crowd that will try to keep you from Jesus. And don't be surprised when you you discover the crowd is filled with religious folk. People who name the name of Jesus, but they have their own agenda. They will be among those who will stand before Christ one day, call him Lord, Lord, and he will tell them, depart from me for I never knew you. Zacchaeus is a man on a mission because he is being sought by the sovereign Savior. He is being sought after by the sovereign seeker. He is one of the elect, as Jesus will call him. He is a true child of Abraham. He is one that Jesus will lay down his life for. He is one who Jesus will make atonement for. So Zacchaeus will not be denied. He is being driven by the Spirit to see Jesus. And so he climbs a sycamore tree, and I love that sycamore tree. Because nothing in God's universe happens by accident. The mighty seas are under his control. And the hardworking little ant is under the sovereign rule of God. All things in creation are under God's control. And that sycamore tree had been planted right there. So that little tax collector, that chief tax collector, 
that greedy little man could climb that sycamore tree and cast his eyes and gaze upon the Savior of the world. Jesus makes his way up the dusty road into Jericho and he walks right up to the sycamore tree. He looks up in the sycamore tree and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. The effectual call once again. You come down. It's not a request, it's a command. You come down, I'm going to your house today. And Luke says that Zacchaeus received him joyfully. Now, I'm with Dr. Ferguson on this one, Mark. If Jesus had walked up to me and I was up in the sycamore tree and he called me by name, I would have had a heart attack and fallen out of the tree. How does this young preacher know who I am? Well, move over, Zacchaeus. I'm going to climb up in the sycamore tree for just a moment and tell you. You see that preacher down there? You see that man who just called you by name? He knows you by name because he is, I am that I am. He is Emmanuel, God in the flesh. Zacchaeus, he is your creator. For in the beginning was the word, Zacchaeus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made, Zacchaeus, you, me, and this sycamore tree. We were all made by him, for nothing was made that was made without him. And Zacchaeus comes down, and he receives Jesus joyfully. And the crowds rejoice. Jesus is about to rescue one more sinner. Jesus is about to rescue one more outcast, right? That's how they reacted, right? We shouldn't be surprised by how the world responded to Jesus' command to go to Zacchaeus and to dine with Zacchaeus. They despised Zacchaeus, and they grumbled and complained that Jesus would go and have dinner with him. It shouldn't surprise us that the world would react that way. What should grieve us is when the church acts that way. How dare God show grace and mercy to that person? Doesn't he know what they've done in life? You know, the longer I live and the more gray hairs I collect, the more I realize just how little I understand the depth of the grace and the mercy of God. And the more I learn that God still walks among the deplorables, the outcasts, the prisoners, the outlaws to rescue and to save. I told the Sunday school class this morning that I thought when I first started going into prisons that I was going in taking Jesus with me. You know, I was the hero. (laughs) And what I discovered was Jesus was there waiting for me to show up. Jesus is waiting 
for his church to show up. He's not just waiting. He commands his church to show up. The crowd's response tells you everything you need to know about the crowd. They identify Zacchaeus as a sinner, not themselves. They grumble about Jesus' mission because Jesus' mission is not their mission. Their mission was politically, I think it's safe to say from this crowd, because he'll be moving into Jerusalem not long after this, that their motivation was political. Jesus came to bring God's kingdom, not man's kingdom. The agenda of heaven is always God's kingdom. And every other kingdom will bow to that kingdom. More graphic than that, every other kingdom's going to crumble. We don't know what's discussed at the lunch that day, at the dinner. We don't know what Jesus says to Zacchaeus. But we do know how Zacchaeus responds to Jesus. Lord, half of what I give, uh, half of what I have, I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, I'll repay it fourfold. This is a man that has been radically changed. And then Jesus says, after Zacchaeus makes this announcement, Zacchaeus, uh, Jesus says, Surely salvation has come to this house today. And salvation has come to this house today because Zacchaeus has decided to do the right thing, correct? No. Salvation had come to Zacchaeus and to his family, because it's a covenant promise, to his family because the Savior was in the house. Zacchaeus was about to perform good works because the new birth had occurred inside of him. Regeneration had taken place. Zacchaeus was a changed man, and he demonstrated that he was a changed man by changed behavior. Not by living a perfect life, but by living a changed life. Zacchaeus came out of the sycamore tree. He didn't go up into the sycamore tree alone. He went up into the sycamore tree carrying the burden and the weight and the shame of his sin. But he came down out of the sycamore tree, and that day he laid his burdens at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus took the burdens of his sin, and he took the burdens of your sin and my sin, and he went up a tree. He went up Calvary's tree. He was hung on a cruel Roman cross, suspended between heaven and hell. And he hung there taking the wrath of God, the wrath that we deserve, not for friends, but for enemies. Not for law-abiding citizens, but for fugitives. He hung there 
for our salvation and for our freedom. Today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I pray that the sovereign seeker will seek after you. And if you're sitting here today burdened by the thought that you have lost friends and family members, then be encouraged and be strengthened with this thought. The sovereign seeker is on the case. If God has marked them out for salvation, they will come. And because of that truth, because the sovereign seeker always wins his prized possession, we can go in confidence and share the gospel and share the good news that Jesus saves. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have rescued us from our sins, that you have made us sons and daughters of Abraham by faith alone in your finished work alone. And so we trust you today and you alone for our salvation and we commit all those that we care about and that we love to your grace. And we ask that you would show grace and mercy to them as you have shown it to us. In Jesus' name, amen.